Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hello and welcome to The Beacon Podcast. I'm Jeff Jowdy, your host for today's episode. I'm very excited to welcome two fascinating guests who will delve into the idea of dysfunctional teams. And like them, most of us have been there in working on dealing with dysfunction in, in nonprofits and beyond, and just look forward to a lively discussion. Now, our guest, Dr. Lilia Wagner and Dr. Mark Hager, go way back to when they co-authored Board Members Beware, Warning Signs of a Dysfunctional Organization in the late 90s for Nonprofit World Magazine. So, Lillian and Mark, welcome to the Beacon Podcast, and thanks so much for sharing your insight on such an important topic. Thank you. Thank it's you, Jeff. To be here. You bet. Looking forward to it. Well, before we get fully engaged, just want to give a brief overview for our listeners. We're thrilled at Lighthouse Council now to have Dr. Lily Wagner on our team, a senior consultant, and for decades, she has been one of the nonprofit sector's leading authors, speakers, trainers, coaches, and practitioners. She was associate director for public service and director of the Women's Philanthropy Institute at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. She oversaw curriculum preparation and revision for the renowned fundraising school and has conducted training, speaking, and consulting in more than 80 countries. Dr. Hager is Emeritus Professor, Arizona State University, and has decades of experience as a researcher whose work uncovers data that provides insights on where problems are hidden and how to implement solutions, leading to more effective nonprofit management. So we do have a full bios here on the, on the website, so you can link, uh, click on those and learn more about our incredible guest, but we just want to delve into to this important topic. Uh, and Lilia and Mark, just wanted your thoughts on overall the five most common signals uh, that an organization is in trouble and headed towards being dysfunctional. So I'll just kick it off to the, to the two of you. Well, I'll jump in first here just to give a, a quick overview and say that uh, Lily and I first met a quarter century ago. I was in graduate school and she was already established out known person out in the fundraising world and and we 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 coalesced around the question of uh, nonprofit organizations that were having problems it was a topic i was pursuing in graduate school um and we we circled back to that very recently and she said why don't you join me in the podcast i said i'd love to do that um i'll bet our thinking on this has probably been pretty different over the last 25 years i bet we've got different perspectives on this and what what we're going to see so I'm going to warn you right now, Jeff, uh, we didn't compare notes. So I'm going to curious where Lily starts off. I'll jump in with one. Maybe we'll go back and forth and we'll get to five, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how we match up and where we challenge each other on this list that we're after here. I love it. Thank you. I really suspect that much of what we will say will at least overlap, if not be congruent with each other, because there are some definite themes along this line. Uh, regrettably, for me, the idea is not so much about the organization and its dysfunction, but who does not get served? 
Nonprofits exist to serve both in humane ways and also in ways that fulfill the human experience. And when one of these organizations goes away, the staff is very likely to be able to find other jobs. But what about those people who were part of their service world? And for that reason, I got very interested in this topic so long ago, also because of some personal experiences where some organizations were not functioning real well. And it saddened me to see when goals and the mission were not being fulfilled. I know that uh, there are numbers on how many nonprofits die each year, but uh, I don't have exact figures. I know a few years ago, it was something like 15,000 out of the more than million nonprofits in America. Well, I'm sure now the IRS has more exact figures given that they have changed over the last few years on how reporting is done. But the main point here is we're considering our service area, our clientele, people who need us. And what can we professionals do to avoid some of the problems that cause an organization to die? So with those comments, I'll turn it back to Mark. Well, I'll jump into a list, then I'll offer sort of the first one. Uh, and then, uh, Lilia, you can either comment there or, or go on to the next one on, on your list. I'm going to start with probably the main one, and it's really uninteresting. It's the low-hanging fruit, so let's just get it out of the way. When you see an organization having financial struggles, that's an obvious red flag for, for people both inside and outside of the organization. So everybody knows that. Maybe that doesn't take a lot more discussion, but once you see an organization, I mean, in the extreme, not being able to make payroll or you know, not being able to hire talent. When they start cutting programs, those are real red flags for an organization that's, that's having problems. And possibly even worse is when they're not investing in infrastructure. They can't invest in IT. They can't hire a proper fundraising talent. They can't have the space that they need. They can't do proper financial management. When you can't have the infrastructure for your organization, you can't run the programs. And that's, that's a red flag. And it's... Uh, it's an obvious one. It's a big one. Uh, but, you know, I suppose it almost goes without saying finance is a big issue for organizations. And tagging along with that concept is, of course, what is of greatest interest to us and Jeff's organization is the lack of good fundraising. I know too many organizations that have started out with a bang because they have gotten a big grant. But then they have failed to say, what comes next? Now what? Well, that guardian angel that gave us this big grant continue to support us. Uh, I know I've done a lot of work with churches in recent years and uh, church organizations. And one of the attitudes is what God will provide. We're doing his work. Well, even an atheist who making quotes said that God helps those who help themselves. And so a good fundraising program is vital. And what many people fail to understand is that fundraising has an effect on much broader aspects than just the money in the budget. Because if you're going to do a good fundraising, 
you have to look at what is it that we do well? What do we need to improve? Who cares about what we do? What results can we promise? And I could go on with some of these very essential questions, but we need to have a good, responsible fundraising program that goes beyond just looking at the income, that goes at looking at the strengths and what we need to do to improve our organization. How are we perceived? Are personnel loyal to us? Do they like working here? And we can go into some of those warning signs a little bit further, but I want to stress the real importance of good professional fundraising. And that leads to the second thing that I think is so vital for an organization. And I know in my many years of training, this was something that so many organizations lacked, which was a good plan. Uh, somehow the word plan flashes the neon lights to many people and it's threatening. But even knowing where we're headed, who's going to do what, with what reason, again, who cares about what we do? These are important factors and a plan doesn't have to be something so difficult and challenging that people shy away from it. For some of us, planning is very natural, part of our personality. But even if it isn't, and if you really care about your cause and the people you're serving, having a good plan that includes a good fundraising plan is really one of the essentials. And regrettably, in the many organizations that I have seen go under in my years of training and speaking and consulting, usually there is a lack of a good plan. And it's too late sometimes where people finally say, oops, I guess that particular foundation wanted us to have a plan. Where, where's our plan? What are we doing? And before you know it, the people that they have been serving are without that service. And that to me is the sad part of what we do in the nonprofit sector. Well, here's something I'd say about planning and hiring fundraisers. First, I'd say that's important. And the question would be sort of what goes into that plan. An issue I see for some organizations is that they shift away from the core competencies that they established when they were created. Usually an organization is founded with a, a particular purpose and a vision, and that, that dominates what the organization does for the early and hopefully extended years of the organization. Uh, but there, when an organization hits hard times, there may be a um, a threat that it, it 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 changes direction, and when an organization getting away from its core competencies, away from its vision, is another one of those signals that it's that it's getting into trouble. A fundraising plan is a great idea. It helps keep you on track of of, of what you ought to be doing in terms of going after your mission. Without a plan, you start chasing dollars. You start a fundraiser, and fundraisers I think are susceptible to this. They say. Ah, our organization needs money. Oh, there's something we can go after, but it's not completely related to the vision and mission of the organization. It's maybe not part of that plan. So that plan, hopefully, uh, reinforces the mission, the vision, the core competencies of the organization rather than just chases dollars into some new space. That doesn't mean that an organization might not 
need to change what its mission is, given circumstances, given perhaps community changes. But it does mean that you do it intelligently. It doesn't just creep up on you. If there are organizations that have to change their vision, their mission, I'm an immigrant and a refugee, and so I'm quite aware of some of the organizations that help those population groups, as well as communities that integrate these uh, refugees and immigrants. And sometimes conditions of the immigrants, sometimes where they come from, sometimes what causes them to be immigrants changes. The organization changes to adapt to that. But again, we come back to what we both said, the need for a good plan to know why you're doing this, how you're doing it, and not just blindly go into the woods and fall into the creek. Agreed. Yep. I think you and I will agree on a lot of things and wait, we may differ on a few. I'd say change is hard. If an organization is needing to change what it does, I think that can be a real struggle for it. We see a lot of organizations that end up closing because they try to change away from what they're their core mission was and how they, and how they did it. Lilia, what else you got on your list? What are some of the signals that an organization is in trouble? Okay, let me list some that I have in mind. The mark, of course, interrupt any time to either add, subtract, or whatever. Uh, one I'd like to reiterate because it sort of we've alluded to it already. But when nothing much gets done, uh, what we believe the organization exists for, I think is a very definite signal. Uh, if goals and objectives are not reached, why aren't they reached? What is the problem? Uh, of course, employees have a lot to, to do with signals of what causes dysfunction in an organization. If they complain a lot, if they think, oh, another meeting, here we go again, same old stuff. Okay, maybe there are a couple of problems related to that particular factor. Conflict and hostility, of course. Sometimes it's personalities, which of course uh, happens in any organization. But at other times, it may be related to what is actually going on or not going on in an organization. Uh, we could take another week talking about the board and its responsibilities and its possible failures. If a board is disengaged, if a board doesn't really get involved, or conversely, if a board meddles too much and is telling staff what to do, uh, there's definitely an inherent problem there with leadership. Uh, so looking at where, what is the board role and how are they fulfilling it is another critical factor. Uh, I have noticed one thing when staff are unhappy about what's going on or not going on, but they're afraid to speak out, then there's a definite, definite sign of dysfunction in the organization. And I will hasten to add that there are times when an organization finds that it is dysfunctional and perhaps it can't be remedied. Maybe there are too many factors at play here that go against what 
and this normal function for a successful nonprofit. And perhaps that organization will die for good reasons. But for in many cases that I have observed during my years of consulting and training is that if we become aware of some of these factors, they are fixable. If we become aware of it and decide we want to do it and we get the right people involved, that of course is quite idealistic. So perhaps reality lies somewhere in between those two poles. The organization will die, the organization can become successful again. And perhaps as there's some median where they, they can be. Well, I think we've got your five in there somewhere, Jeff. I agree that those internal communication issues can be an issue. The board, as Lilia says, is a, is a big issue. The quality of the board uh, is going to be a whole, whole podcast in itself as well. I guess I'd round out our list of signals that an organization is in trouble uh, by, by looking externally as well. If you start seeing that the organization is is disconnected from the community, from the general public, from its donors, from other organizations in particular, or whatever stakeholders the organization might have, then, then a board, a senior staff, or, or just that line workers and organization should start to raise their eyebrow a little bit and say, ah, you know, is this going as productively as we really like? It might be wise to look at some of the factors that affect organization that may not be within our control. Uh, I've noticed a few things uh, that have a lot to do with funding availability, and that might be where there's increased competition in a community. One community I was in, they had some very good long-term health care. Next thing you know, a big corporation came in and established another facility. And so it was difficult for the ones that were existing to both get the client support, the community support, and the financial support. And then there might be another factor where we are, our services are not needed as much. Maybe something has been controlled. Maybe something has taken place that diminishes the mission of the particular organization. Of course, another factor is accelerating costs. What it costs to provide the service that we exist for. And sometimes, again, that is beyond our ability to handle. So these are some of the external factors that perhaps might spell it the doom for an organization. Great. I like that. I like that list. Jeff, where do we want to go next with our discussion? This is a great, great conversation and both the internal and external perspectives. And how about from the, from the perspective of a staff member or board member, <clears throat> they're not the board chair, they're not the CEO, but they, they see some of these warning signs of dysfunction. They may not be in a position of authority, but what would, what would the obligation of a board member or staff member to do, uh, to try and raise the, the issue? What's one what of the appropriate steps if one of our listeners is like myself thinking, oh gosh, I've been there, I've been there, I've been there, I've been there, and it didn't end well. What, what, what can folks do to maybe turn the ship or at least raise the flag? Well, I've got a couple different answers to that. Let me offer a general one and then see where Lilia goes on that. And then I'll see if I 
how my my other end, how, how that how I fill in. My my general answer for for staff members uh, at, at any level when they start to see warning signs or issues cropping up in their organization is to not be part of the problem. If you're part of the problem, then you're the problem. Uh, if 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 it's if communication. A lack of communication is, is is the issue that people are seeing in the organization. Then then don't be that person. People need to um to to when they see issues, they need to speak up, talk to their supervisor, talk to their colleagues, because that's the worst thing that can happen in an organization is it it goes quiet, it goes silent. That's another one of those warning signs is people stop talking to each other and they hoard information and. When that happens, people will leave. No, you need to you need to speak out. You know, be honest. Make sure that the lines of communication are open. Uh, and uh, I think that's an important point. Molly, what would you say on this? Well, I I would start my answer with something I observed in an organization where the more the problems proliferated, the more individual staff members went to favorite board members. And then it began to turn the other way around where board members started to ask staff members, what's going on? I find that to be quite inappropriate, and it certainly didn't work well for that organization. Fortunately, it rescued itself because somebody had the sense to say, let's have an external audit of what we're doing. Let's get a professional in here, not just anybody, but somebody who knows what our mission is, Let's do an internal and external assessment. And that did work, and it helped turn the organization around. Uh, I know that sometimes it's very difficult for a staff member to issue a complaint. Who do they tell? Do they talk at the risk of losing their job? And these, of course, are real factors. I think the key goes back to trying to maintain good communication lines, and employees can do a lot of that. And of course, uh, the leader of the organization should be key on that, but even if he or she doesn't, employees can be good communicators with each other, with the community, in appropriate ways, and I think that is one of the keys for handling this. An external review which I've done many, I think is also good because somebody comes in who is objective, doesn't take pride, and that's where a good consultant can be of great value. And even a person who is a friend to the organization, as long as they know how to do a good assessment, then what are they assessing? Uh, so those are some of the factors that I've seen work. Uh, you have to be careful about the clicks or sides developing where it becomes like an internal civil war. And I again stress the fact communication, like in many of life situations, is a very critical factor. Yeah, that's where I started as well, is with the importance of communication. And I so it sounds like we're on the same page, but I I wonder, Lilia, you were saying that uh that these 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 staffers saying what's going on uh, that you didn't think that was appropriate. And when I hear somebody saying what's going on, I feel like they need to be filled in on what's going on. Uh, what what are the limits to communication? What's where are the limits of propriety on this? I think encouraging periodic reporting and staff can actually 
ask for this to happen. It won't reflect badly on anyone. Uh, having regular reports, meetings with a purpose, and uh, I've seen quite a few cartoons about meetings lately, one where people were lying on the floor, and that determined how long the meeting was going to be. Uh, but Pat uh, can urge, I'd like to know more about what's going on, and I would like to give you folks a report, just a short, concise one. And I think that is one thing that staff can do to help keep that alive. And then when crises come, the table will be set for discussion. So I think that's one of the key factors. I think most critical is to remember, why do we exist? Why do nonprofits exist? Why do we have one of the best nonprofit sectors in the world? where many use us as a model, it's because we see a need and an organization is set up to meet that need. And sometimes what we lose sight of why we exist is when we can be in the danger of floating into the dysfunctional arena. Tremendous insight from you both. I'm and so much more to this could be a whole, whole, whole day's conversation and, yeah. and grateful, but I'm wondering from for our listeners and, and I've been there at what point if you're in, if you see these signs that you both shared, um, and they're, they're heading in the wrong direction, at what point should a staff member look for an exit strategy? I mean, at what point do you lean in and, and you mentioned some great ways to maybe help address the situation, but at what point for your career insanity, do you say it's time for the next chapter? Is there a way to discern that? That's a personal decision for sure. And it's going to depend a lot about your role in the organization. If you're the, uh, if you're the founder and the CEO, uh, it's a little bit harder to throw in the towel. You know, if you're a, a new uh, assistant fundraiser and you see you've stepped into a, a really toxic culture, then, you know, saying nah, that this is not what I signed up for is a perfectly uh, valid response. So I, I think it depends. I'd like to think uh, that uh, everybody, no matter what, uh, we'll try to see what they can do, um, but not everybody has the agency to be able to do anything. So what a senior staffer can do is very different from what that fundraising assistant is able to do. But, you know, take stock, uh, do what you can, uh, but certainly if it comes to a point where you've done what you can and you see that things are not going to change, things are going downhill, uh, then, then, then deciding to find other work is certainly a viable strategy. I think the quick and easy answer is to always be proactive, but that's too quick and easy. <laughs> and we get involved in our work. Most of us are working very hard when we're with nonprofits. And uh, some of it also depends on personalities. That's one of my specialties. And I realized very well that the personality factor does enter into it. So, like Mark said, it's not an easy thing, but remaining loyal, and if things do not go as we think they should, finding a professional, a courteous way to try to remedy that, again, that's a quick and easy answer, but I would have to stress along with Mark, this is not an easy thing to do, 
But if we really care about the organization that we are working for, I think then we can remain alert and try to do our part in fixing whatever the problem is. You know, and I'll conclude by reiterating a point that Lilia made earlier. You know, it's one thing to talk about individuals and whether or not they're going to stick out uh, problems that they're discovering within uh, their organization. But founders, boards, staff members sometimes are faced with the question of whether the organization itself ought to continue on or not. And lots of organizations stop functioning. Uh, over time. And well, he was saying that that can run into the thousands every year. I just want to conclude by saying that can be okay. Uh, it can be sad. Uh, it can be, it can be taken as a, as almost like a death by uh, some of the people that are close to the organization, but sometimes it's the best thing for the people involved, best thing for the community to uh, let that organization close up and then let either others or sometimes the same founder creates something new that fits better, that works better, that has the right personnel in place to be able to carry out that community mission. I think one of the most difficult situations for any staff member is the point at which they say, can I help or should I bail? And that's a difficult uh, question I've seen People who are really devoted to the cause, maybe they've been there quite a while, or maybe they came with some uh, expectations, but to know when to leave and when to try to be part of the solution, there's, there's really no answer to that. You have to weigh a lot of what's going on and what you, from your professional viewpoint, feel can happen and can change. A lot of times change is possible, but as Mark said, sometimes there is. Well, this has been a tremendous conversation. I know our listeners have enjoyed your insight on signs of, of dysfunctional teams and some of the factors in that, as well as uh, potential solutions. And then, well, I know you mentioned early on that the, uh, the in our conversation today that the mission is what fails the uh, when dysfunction happens for you know, the, the, who, who is not served or the folks who the, were intended to be served by the organizations. And I know Mark mentioned that in his comments that, 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 that is a sad point, but there does, there, there are life cycles and sometimes a life cycle does not mean continuing to the next stage. This has just been a tremendous conversation. Do either of you have any final comments before we, we thank our listeners and close out this conversation? I just want to thank you for the opportunity to, to reconnect and talk about these things. It was Lily and I started talking about this, like I say, 20, 20 some years ago that we we're kicking around some of these same ideas. We, we did our own investigations and we had covered a few of these factors back then, but then through our careers, we, we, we see what really matters, what's new, what's different, uh, and what, and what we wanted to bring to you today. So I appreciate, now appreciate the opportunity to do that and to talk with Lily about this once again. And I would like to reiterate that nonprofit organizations exist because of some service that they provide to a defined clientele. And that is significant. And we are doing significant work for people's lives and for our communities, even our country. 
and that's why taking some of these factors seriously is really advisable because that's why we exist. We exist because we have some service, whether it is providing a musical concert or curing cancer or whatever our mission is. And not to forget our mission and why we exist because we were started because there was some need and we can do it ethically and professionally and try to make our organization strong. Big, a big thank you to you both. And, and just, uh, it's obvious from your perspective and your experience that, uh, you've been able to help many, many dysfunctional organizations over the years and help them turn around in a more positive way. But this is a conversation that I think is near and dear to anyone in the nonprofit higher ed independent school arena, unfortunately, uh, no matter the size of the organization and a very healthy conversation to be had and just appreciate both of you for your uh, insight today and for all that you've done for, for the profession over many decades. And Lily has, has long been one of my favorite folks in the arena and, and Mark, I'm honored and grateful that she's connected us and that you joined us today uh, for this uh, episode of the Beacon Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Great. And, thank, and to our listeners, we hope you'll uh, enjoy today's episode. We will think there's no doubt that we need to have the uh, these two distinguished uh, professionals back for a continued conversation. And if you have any insight on questions or topics, uh, please let us know. But thanks for joining us on this edition of The Beacon Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcast and guests at lighthousecouncil.com.